Welcome back to the Host Dispatch, and happy holidays from all of us at Host Publications. In this episode, we discuss the age-old tradition of reading ghost stories on Christmas. Now, this is our last episode of Season 1, and we want to thank you for listening from the bottom of our hearts. This has been such a rewarding new venture for this micropress, and we can't wait to see it grow and expand in Season 2, which will start in early February of 2021. One thing we'd like to start focusing on in Season 2 is our community of listeners and to get your voices in the mix. We want to read listener stories, poems, and experiences on the podcast. To that end, I'd like to put out a call for submissions for the beginning of Season 2. 2020 has been such a difficult year for so many of us in ways we never could have imagined. There has been so much suffering and loss due to the pandemic, so much social upheaval in pursuit of justice for Black lives and the BIPOC community. And the conversation won't end here. As a community of book lovers, I feel we've learned that books are not only an escape from reality, but can be tools we use to cope with and better understand our reality. I know I've learned just how powerful a book can be in helping to change the minds and hearts of those who are willing to listen. So we want to hear from you. Tell us what book has helped you cope this year. What feels like the most important book for the year 2020? And what should we be reading to carry us into the new year to face whatever challenges may come in 2021? We want to hear about your experience with these books and to create a powerful reading list to share with our listeners and our community to kick off 2021 in the best way possible. All genres welcome. You can send us your answer at thehostdispatch at gmail.com. We hope you are safe, warm, and with someone you love. And if you can't cozy up with your loved ones, we hope you're cozied up with a good book. As always, thanks for listening. holidays everyone happy holidays to you happy holidays this is so exciting i'm glad that we did a holiday episode so that we can be with each other at least digitally i love the idea of traditions for holidays me too and i think this could be host tradition of looking at books i think it has to be a host tradition it's what we're all about i mean thinking about ourselves as you know, a press that likes to be based in the community. We like to be the host, right? We like to entertain. And I think tradition is a huge part of that. And I would hope that people who listen to this would come up with ideas of sharing things together with other people that are similar to what we're going to do today. Yeah. Can I give a spoiler alert? We're going to read ghost stories and talk about (laughs) ghost stories. Real Christmassy there, huh? So festive. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, as I've heard, it's been a tradition. And I'm really anxious to hear about where it comes from and all those kind of things. Yeah. I want to ask you guys a question first, though. Sure. 
Do you have any specific holiday traditions to your family or to your household that you keep personally to this day? Absolutely. Um, You know, when I started working at Malvern Books, I think it was about five years ago, um, we were doing the Instagram account and we came across Jola Buckleflud, which is an Icelandic tradition of gifting and opening books, new books um, that have been published that year on Christmas Eve, and then reading those through the night into Christmas. And AJ and I have participated in Jola Buckleflud every year since then. Um, It's our family tradition. We get like really special books uh, last year, I got, it was actually a reprint, um, Les Diners de Gala, uh, the Salvador Dali cookbook. Um, <gasps> yes, I remember when you got that. It's so beautiful. It's so much fun to, like, open up and read. Um, and it was just a really special evening. So kind of like those books that you could just really dive into and have so many different angles you can enjoy it from is my favorite book to get on Jola Buckleflud. But it's an Icelandic tradition. Um, I think it's relatively new. Probably started within the last like 20 or 30 years. Um, But it's because in Iceland, they're voracious readers. Um, A lot of Icelandic people are published um, and have been published. And yeah, they have a really big market there for for literature Mm -hmm. and it's just it's a fun tradition and it's a good it's a good excuse to buy more books and get more books (laughs) that's such a cool tradition what about you joe well i don't have a lot of traditions that i follow you know for the holidays but uh christmas you know is very special and what i do is i try to spend as much of it as i can with as much family as i can now i know that's going to be difficult this year but we'll have multiple computers on with zoom links and things like that and yeah you know we'll be waving at each other holding up pieces of turkey <laughs> as we uh as we imbibe good food and company uh the traditions are mainly just getting together. Mm. I used to, you know, have a a large dinner with my family and then we'd all go to midnight mass and we'd come home and the kids would want to open presents right away, but we'd make them go to sleep. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that, that was a great tradition. And I try to keep it up, especially when I'm around other people. This year offers a challenge for traditions. And I think I'm going to probably be creating new ones. Yeah, that's so great. That's such a classy tradition, though. Getting everyone together, the midnight mass, very classy. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I mean, Catholic or not, we'd go to mass. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the ceremony. It's the songs. It's the Merry Christmas. The songs, the candles, all of the ornateness uh, of mass or church. I, I love that on Christmas. And you're right there at midnight to turn to somebody next to you and say, Merry Christmas. Be the first one. Hmm, yeah. Claire, I know you love Christmas. You were yes. born for Christmas. I mean, 
you probably were born for Christmas since your birthday is so close. <laughs> I was born a week before Christmas. I do love it. I have a huge family. It's chaos. And everyone still to this day buys everyone presents, even when <laughs> our means are, are meager. Um, somehow everyone gets presents from everyone. So, you know, you multiply that by like 25 people and it's a really good time. Um, my husband and I in our house, the tradition we started is either December 1st or the day after Thanksgiving, however festive we're feeling, um, we start watching Christmas movies yes. and we watch one every single night through the whole month of December. Wow. Oh, that's great. Starting with the ones that we don't like as much <laughs> to just get them out of the way. Cause there's <laughs> a bunch of cheesy holiday movies that I love from my childhood or he loves from his childhood or, or dorky ones that we've found together. Um, and then we save our like precious favorites for the last few days leading up to Christmas. Um, and it's, a ton of fun. You know, we don't have kids, so we have to entertain ourselves somehow. What are top two films that you reserve for like the 20th, 21st? <laughs> and I wanted to know the bottom two. The ones that were at the beginning of December. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, to be fair, we start with the Lord of the Rings movies. I know that is strange, but they all came out around Christmas and also my birthday. And yeah. so we kind of start with those to get geared up. Okay. Um, and then after that, we'll watch like Bad Santa or something yeah. like that. That's just raunchy and terrible and makes us laugh. Um, so those are kind of where we start. The final few include some of my absolute favorites, which would be the Charlie Brown Christmas mm. and then mm -hmm. <laughs> A Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, I love that okay. one. It's like my all time favorite. Um, and then Dustin and I both love, but it's especially his favorite, would be Christmas Vacation. Oh. <laughs> Those are good. Those are good. Yeah. Um, Joe, you have me curious because this always feels like very divisive between households. Are you um, Christmas morning? gift opener or are you a christmas eve gift opener oh uh, let me tell you my entire life i was a christmas day gift opener it, okay. it was after midnight mass and stuff like that okay i got married it was a christmas eve because we were following the polish tradition where you have the big polish herring meal and things like that and somebody would always dress up as santa for the children and uh, it, it became Christmas Eve. And so I was mm -hmm. tremendously confused. But I actually would do both because we'd have Christmas Eve at our house and then we'd have Christmas Day at my parents' house or mm. something like that. So I go either way. Right now, <laughs> I go with whoever's serving food and I'm going to their house. Yes. Okay. What about you, Claire? Christmas Eve all the way. Um, we definitely would open presents on Christmas Eve, and there was not a turkey dinner. It was a smorgasbord, mm -hmm. which would include some traditional holiday items, but honestly, it was just whatever my mom wanted to make. Mm -hmm. yeah. But yeah, Christmas Eve. Wow. I grew up like big Hispanic households, the big feast, Christmas Eve, church, the whole thing, and at midnight, 
you open your gifts. So we would go to sleep from like eight to midnight. What? Um, But then I met AJ, who has a bit more of an Americanized household. And he was like, that's not how we do things. Um, So I feel like (laughs) Jolo Boklafluid, where I get to open one book that completely consumes me, really pacifies that need. But there's nothing more exciting than, like, the big feast, the presents. Um, because then, like, Christmas morning, it's like, what, you're going to have cookies and... <laughs> yeah. And open presents. Oh, yeah. It it would really frustrate me when we decide that we were going to all get together with other families or something for Christmas. And it would be... Two o'clock in the afternoon when we'd meet and then we'd open our presents. I was like, what? Why are we waiting until two o'clock in the afternoon? That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's like not happening. I can't believe the kids would let you get away with that because kids are usually like up at like 5 a.m. sharp <laughs> on Christmas morning. <laughs> oh, I'm the same way as an adult. I want to open the presents that I bought for myself, you know? <laughs> It, it was some offshoot for some reason that my parents did or something like that. But no, I've always been, if we're opening on 25th, we're opening by nine o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah. Wow. And in our tradition, interestingly, you said cookies and stuff. The Polish tradition is all about eating. Mm-hmm. And you don't eat meat on Christmas Eve. So you have seven different types of herring. Wow. It was herring and cream sauce, herring and dill sauce, cooked herring, you know, seven different types of herring, and some poppy seed cake. I love it. And then on Christmas Day, you had meat. You had a big roast. You had a, a, a goose, those kind of things. And so it was two days of real eating. As a staff, we are professional eaters, Um so we're dedicated (laughs) we're dedicated to eating um it's what i did love about christmas eve present opening and festivities is that the next day in the morning you have all those leftovers much like the day after thanksgiving and that's what you end up having for breakfast you know you have the ham and maybe you Mm -hmm. fry the mashed potatoes up with some eggs and yeah i love the food Mm. yum i'm starving yeah (laughs) and Now we're hungry. Okay, let's stop talking about food right away. Let's talk about books. Um, so ghosts, the yeah. tradition of ghost stories at Christmas. Um, Who would have thought? Joe blew my mind a couple of weeks ago when he was like, the series of ghost stories for Christmas by Biblioasis is not Christmas ghost stories, but ghost stories for Christmas. Um, Mm -hmm. And then that completely shifted my brain chemistry to prep me for what we're doing here. But Claire, can you tell us? Yeah, it's new to me as well. uh, And I really, really love it. I did a tiny bit of research for us because if you look at the Biblioasis series, they're all these wonderful little novellas. And on the back, it says, revive a spooky old Christmas tradition. Reading a ghost story on Christmas Eve was once as much a part of traditional Christmas celebrations as turkey, eggnog, and Santa Claus. Hmm. So I wanted to look into that a little bit. And there is a bit of a history to Christmas ghost storytelling. Um, It was popular in the Victorian era in parts of Europe, but apparently it is much older than that, Uh, perhaps with origins in pagan traditions. 
because it was believed that the short days of winter were when the, quote, veil was thinnest between worlds, so between the material world and the spirit world or the ghost world. So, you know, it's like this frigid, especially in Europe, right? Just this frigid, hard times, honestly. Dark, dark, it's dark. Dark times. Thinking about the pre-Victorian era when this tradition began, it's like, yeah, people are probably dying off. (laughs) Um, It's dark, hard times, really cold. And so, of course, like Yule and Christmas are just like an indispensable holiday for that time of year that revives the spirits and gets people through. But I think they also, you know, took a little bit of pleasure in embracing that, that spirit that we typically associate as Americans with Halloween. Mm -hmm. That is so fascinating. It's pretty cool. I want to share something with you guys that I found when I was researching. So in Norse mythology, there is something called the Wild Hunt of Odin, in which the god Odin leads this chaotic band of like ghosts, gods, and trolls across the midwinter sky in search of mortals who, if you fail to find a good hiding place, they will abduct and take you as prey to the underworld. (laughs) (laughs) So that's part of like this spooky Christmas time pagan tradition. Like it's in that world. It's called the Wild Hunt of Odin. And I'm going to just drop a little picture into the chat of a painting uh, that depicts this. It is so cool. This painting is called the Wild Hunt of Odin by Peter Nikolai Arbo from 1872. (gasps) Wow. That is beautiful. Wow. Crazy, right? Oh, that's crazy. That is wild. Looks like a lot of people didn't find a place to hide. (laughs) I know. (laughs) How scary. I mean, it kind of goes along with like the Germanic tradition of Krampus. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. There's like all this spooky Christmas lore that, I mean, I knew about Krampus, had never heard of the Wild Hunt of Odin. I'm sure there's more to that. But yeah, I think the ghost story telling tradition maybe just spun out of that through the years. And then Victorian era England and other parts of Europe really, really took to it. So it's it's a custom that's probably centuries old. Yeah, I love the idea that it's the time when it's the thinnest veil between worlds. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. That that makes sense. Like I did find I had a hard time connecting with with these winter tales, because, I mean, for our sake, it's 80 degrees this afternoon. (laughs) That's true. Like, it's 80 degrees, we're in Texas, even when we have the worst part of our winter, which is in February, like, we're fine. Like, Mm -hmm. we don't really feel that darkness that you would in in England um, or in Europe, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point about the weather not being conducive to this particular tradition for us. The harsh realities of winter are just not present. Yeah. Right. And here you are, the solstice is just before Christmas. And so it's it's like, this is as dark as it gets. Mm-hmm. The thing is, as, as Anora mentioned, winter gets worse. Winter yes. gets worse for the next two months. January and February are actually much worse than December. 
So it's really kind of a gird yourself so that uh, you can make it through the spring. It's also like it makes sense to me that this tradition didn't really land in the United States because Mm -hmm. it's based in like folklore, European folklore and the supernatural, which the Puritans probably were not (laughs) big fans of. No, we we had fires about that. (laughs) Yeah, they burned some people. Uh, But there is a song that survives in our collective cultural consciousness. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah. There will be parties for hosting, marshmallows for roasting, and caroling out in the snow. Yeah. There will be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. Wow. Wow. When was that written? 1963. Oh, my goodness. So, like... Yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Um, so first of all, I don't think I'd ever heard the lyrics to that song. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think I ever listened to the lyrics. And that is amazing. It's just like a hidden little nugget. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And then maybe the person who wrote the song wasn't really even aware of it, but obviously it's a tradition. And you know, we all know the most famous Christmas story of all time is Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Yeah. That's a ghost story. That's a ghost story, for sure. You could almost watch one adaptation of that every night in December. <laughs> you really could. We watched three Yeah. in our little routine. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, that's, that's awesome. That's amazing that it's such a great, long tradition going back to, you know, these pagan times. Yeah. So... We really wanted to just highlight for everyone this press, Biblioasis, and their series of haunted Christmas tales. And um, we've read a few that were surprising and fun and genuinely unsettling. Mm -hmm. Anar, you mentioned that you didn't find the kind of warm Christmas environment in your story as you thought it might have at least started out with. It was pretty pretty, uh, rough from the start. So... Really quick, I just want to shout out to Seth at Biblioasis, who it's described here as designs and decorates these books. Um, because I will say this collection in this series is just really well made, really beautiful to look at. Um, it makes you want to have all of them. But I will say I decorated my tree this weekend. I made hot chocolate, we watched a Christmas movie, and then I curled up underneath my one-foot-tall tree, um, my mini tree, and started reading this, like, carrying these festive feelings into this book, Mm -hmm. and it didn't quite work. (laughs) Um, So I started reading The Green Room by Walter de la Mer. It's a ghost story for Christmas, and here's a little description. Behind the rundown bookstore is a private room for favored customers, a strange little annex with stranger atmosphere. The young man feels a wistful presence vying for his attention as he browses, and when he leaves, he knows he will return. Something has been asked of him, and he will answer. Ooh. Just that feeling of uneasiness. Yeah. And... It didn't quite work for me. I'm very particular. <laughs> um, 
I mean, I think I understand what you're saying, which is like, this is in opposition with your festive energy that you kind of hold on to and want to cultivate at this time of year. And I, yeah. I get that. I didn't grow up with this either. So it's, um, it's kind of hard to wrap my brain around. Yeah. But Joe, you said you read this as well and that you're, you're a fan of Walter de la Mare's poetry, which there's yeah some, some poetry in this book, which I did enjoy. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, I, I like some of Walter de la Mare's poetry, uh, you know, and he was prolific. A lot of what he's famous for is things that he would write for children. He wrote little fairy tales, simple fairy tales and things for Mm -hmm. children. But then he wrote things for adults that were pretty dark. And this story, being a ghost story, and that's what it is, there's a ghost in it. You know, it's (laughs) it's scary, but what he deals with are the motivations and the beliefs and why this ghost appears and to whom it appears and the wishes of the ghost and all of those things. Let's say that Mr. Delamere was challenged in his view towards women. And uh, <laughs> the ghost being a woman, uh, the young man who encounters the ghost having failed in love relationships because he'd idealized women mm-hmm. when parenthetically, according to Mr. Delamere, they should never be idealized. <laughs> And, uh, goodness gracious, you should only go after first editions. I like the book. I like the book, but, uh, there were problems. And the poetry in the book, while it's okay, it's not supposed to be poetry of a very high caliber. No. It's poetry written by a love-stricken woman, young woman, and, uh, it, but the book takes all kinds of weird twists and turns, and it's it's dark. It's dark. It's not it's not a cuddly book. Right. What is? I'm curious because I really had to search for it in my own haunted Christmas tale. What is the Christmas element of that book? <laughs> I didn't come across anything. No. Do events transpire on Christmas or something? Um. Actually, I think it's spring and a good chunk of it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's spring. It starts in March, ends in September. Huh. And uh, there's a lot of nature imagery, but nothing really bringing up Christmas or... Weird. And I think that ties into what you said, which is why I was like, give me clarity, Claire. <gasps> oh, that was fun. Um, <laughs> in, in that, like, it's the ghostly aspect of winter that I think makes these fun. Yeah. Um, This did not feel wintry. I'm so intrigued by this series. I wonder how they're selecting stories for it. Mm -hmm. If it's really just to revive that tradition so it doesn't necessarily have to have a Christmas element to it. Right. I think it's been going on for several years now. I think at the beginning, the stories were much more tightly tied to Christmas. Okay. And uh, I think The Green Room and the book that I read were more recent. And so that, uh, you know, they've just moved into just ghost stories of a certain length, you know, that kind of thing. It's like a homey place that you think should be comfortable and stuff, but it's actually haunted. 
but it doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with Christmas. I bought a book at Malvern for my mom for Christmas last year called A Very Scandinavian Christmas. Yeah. That book of the greatest Nordic holiday short stories of all time. I decided to read it before I gave it to her. And uh, I was surprised to find that though all of the stories featured Christmas heavily, many of them were dark. I mean, they oh, were yeah. not feel-good Christmas stories at all. So I don't know. I feel like there's probably a wealth of Christmas short stories or novellas out there that do have a dark or ghostly element to them. Mm-hmm. But my my little biblioasis haunted tale is called Christmas Eve on a Haunted Hulk by Frank Cowper. Um, so Christmas in the title, check. Yeah, yeah, check. And there is almost no Christmas in this book either. Mm. But the events, the haunted events that take place do transpire on Christmas Eve. So it is mentioned, but that's it. And um, yeah, it was a really, really fun little little book. So Frank Cowper was an English yachtsman. He was born in 1849 uh, and died in 1930. And uh, he was primarily famous for a book called Sailing Tours, which described his yacht adventures. I think he uh, circumnavigated the British Isles and explored all of the little creeks and rivers around the English Channel. So what was fun about this book was that um, the protagonist is, is visiting a friend for Christmas and the friend has to work, you know, he's uh, engaged on Christmas Eve day. So the protagonist decides there's like, he's out in the middle of nowhere in some rural place that he's not familiar with and decides to go duck hunting in the marshes. And uh, while he's paddling around out there, it's all muddy and finds um, an old hulk, as they call it, uh, an old boat. And um, yeah, a bunch of ghosty stuff happens. <laughs> <laughs> but what's fun about it is the writer doesn't do any kind of flowery language. The description is all very spare and very realistic. And the protagonist is analyzing everything that happens. Like, what's the explanation? Is it this? Is it this? Or is it this? There's no embellishment to try to create a ghostly atmosphere. It's just he's hearing sounds and mysterious things are happening to him throughout the night. Um, so it is believable in that way. I, I enjoyed that that element of it. And then there's a ton of, since it was written by an English yachtsman and it takes place on a boat, there's all this ship lingo like <laughs> I spent so much time just Googling all of this ship vernacular. Um, after a while, I just stopped. I was like, I'm just going to imagine what part of the ship he's talking about because <laughs> it's constant. Wow. I, I do love the straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. I will put that on my list for next time. <laughs> Shall I read you all a passage? Oh, yes, please. 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 Okay. So he finds this... Sh- this old rotting ship and he decides to board the vessel to just check it out because he's just adventuring and he ties his own little paddle boat up to it and when he's done exploring he pops out onto the deck and notices that his boat came loose and is gone Mm. and like the tide is coming in and and the marshes are filling up and he cannot get to the boat there's no dry land so he's just stuck on this thing and he has to spend christmas eve alone on a haunted hulk So, in the middle of the night, he's thinking, was I really dreaming after all? 
To convince myself that I was wide awake, I felt in my pockets for my notebook, and pulling out my pencil, I opened the book, and holding it in my left hand, wrote as well as I could, by feel alone. I am wide awake. It is about midnight, Christmas Eve, 1873. I found I had got to the bottom of the page, so I shut the book up, resolving to look at it the next morning. I felt curious to see what the writing would look like by daylight. But all further speculation was cut short by the shuffling and dragging noise beginning again. There was no doubt the sounds were louder and were coming my way. I never in all my life felt so uncomfortable. I may as well at once confess it, so frightened. There in that empty hole, over that boardless floor, over these rotting joists, somebody or something was dragging some heavy weight. Ooh. And he has to spend the night with that thing? Mm-hmm. He sure does. <laughs> uh, it's very spooky, and I feel like, you know... Part of what I read about the Victorian era when this um, pastime or tradition became popular is that people like to sit around the fire and try to outdo each other and tell a scarier and a scarier story. So I can see why the Christmassy element of it would fall away, leaving just the scary stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder if I'd feel differently if I had a fireplace. (laughs) (laughs) If I had that warmth coming in exteriorly. It's 80 degrees outside. (laughs) We have no business. I mean, but has been in the 30s at night, you guys. Yeah, that's true. We we did we did sneak down to freezing the other night. We're up to Uh we're up to 60 that day. Yeah, so a fireplace fireplace could be fun. Yeah, if if there was like ice coming down and it was snowy and cold out and you were just huddled around a fire for warmth. Maybe it would be more appealing. Yes. But speaking of that, I've got two things that I'd like to talk about. Okay. One is a novella that I didn't read, but it reminds me of what Claire says. It's a Christmas story by the Russian writer Nikolai Gogol. And it's titled The Night Before Christmas. And no, it does not have to do with a man touching the side of his nose and disappearing up the chimney. Uh, but it, it takes place in Russia, of course. And I've just read the first paragraph, and I want to read the story so badly. Uh, because it's a ghost story, and it's Christmas. And it's, uh, just let me, just this the last sentence of the first paragraph. In the sentence before, the girls were sprucing themselves up to hurry and run out into the creaking snow because they're going to go out and hear the carolers as they come by. Here, smoke curled from the chimney of one cottage and went into the cloud across the sky, and along with the smoke rose a witch riding Mm. on a broom. Yes. I want to read that story. I recommend it. It's in a small edition from New Directions Mm. just by itself. Probably a New Directions Pearl edition, uh, I would imagine. And so you could just get that Nikolai Gogol story the night before Christmas and uh, find out what it is. And uh, that sounds it, amazing. it just looks like all kinds of fun. And it is Christmassy. So I wanted to bring that up because my Bibli Oasis book has nothing to do with Christmas. Nothing. <laughs> the reason I chose it, and as Nar pointed out earlier, I also read The Green Room. The reason I picked these two books, 
they deal with bookstores. Yeah. They take place in bookstores. Uh, the green room deals with a used bookstore in the special room for special customers in the back where ghosts live. I'll give that much away. Uh, but uh, this book is by M.R. James called The Diary of Mr. Pointer. Now, M.R. James's name came up a lot when I was doing my research. I think he might have written a big collection of Christmassy, ghosty stories. Uh, M.R. James, I know just uh, from reading around in ghost story literature that he is one of the most prolific of the ghost story writers. Ah. And, you know, he's, he's written some real masterpieces. This is good. It's fun. I wouldn't call it a masterpiece, but mm -hmm. it's it's good. Um, he was a uh, he was an Oxford scholar. Yeah, he was a medievalist, a medieval scholar at King's College in Cambridge. But uh, he could crank out these stories. And uh, this story, the events begin in a bookstore, and a young man, he's in town. He goes to a book auction, and he's looking for something about the area where he's redoing the house. And he's pointed to these diaries and he makes a bid on them and leaves, goes back home. You think that's the end of that, but no, he gets the books. He wins the auction. You know, he gets them. He, he starts reading the diary and there's one page that has a piece of material on it. And this piece of material, he shows it to his aunt, who's really kind of crotchety. But she falls in love with it. She falls in love with where, you know, she said, well, it's good. You spent all that money on those books after all, because this is beautiful. Let's make the curtains for the new house out of it. You know, so he does. And it takes months and, you know, to make all the curtains. And let's see, I want to read just this one place here. So he goes to pick it up and he's interested in this being very individual to him and his family. And he doesn't want it to be copied. And he asks the man, he says, uh, do you think it would be popular if it were generally obtainable? I thought, of course, you know, he wants to sell it. No, but he wants to be the only person who has this. And the, uh, the workman says, oh, I hardly think it, sir. I hardly think it. Not popular. It wasn't popular with the man who cut it. Was it Mr. Higgins? And so he, he goes on to explain, the man asks, did he find it a difficult job? He'd no call to do so, sir, but the fact that the artistic temperament, and our men are artists, sir, every man of them, true artists, as much as many that world styles by that term. He's talking about the carpet makers and the drapers. It's apt to take some strange, hardly countable likes or dislikes, and here was an example. Twice or thrice that I went to inspect his progress. Language I could understand, for that's habitual to him. But real distaste for what I should call dainty enough thing. I did not, nor am I able to fathom, it seemed. And Mr. Cattle, looking narrowly upon Mr. Denton, as if the man scented something almost evil in the design. And so it turns out he hangs these curtains and at night 
out of these curtains comes a creature. It comes to life. The curtains come to life as a creature, and he has to escape. I won't give away the explanation of why there's a creature, how he escapes, what it does to him after it starts clawing on his back as he's trying to get out the door. (laughs) But uh, it's a good little twist at the end of the story. So... And it's it's very short. It's you know it's it's only in this small edition. It's only like thirty pages long, but it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Those are great teasers, by the way. Yeah, it's especially thrilling since we have a set of curtains at the office that we need to hang (laughs) that we've been begging for. And it's taken us months to get, and it took us so long to choose. That's right. Oh, my God. I hope they're not haunted. They are for sure haunted. (laughs) They are. They are. I don't want to go up there at night. Joe, I just want to say you have such a great reading voice, especially for spooky stuff. (laughs) You just have this great, like, low tone you go into whenever you're reading the scary part, and I really appreciate that. (laughs) oh thanks thanks well let's get together and read haunted christmas tales every christmas new tradition new tradition i mean i think that the tradition of getting together and obviously this year is different like you said even if that means over zoom but especially when we can be together in person again and reading stories to each other or even better just telling stories to each other That is such a cool, old-fashioned, homey holiday tradition. And, you know, even if it's not a ghost story, I think people should should bring it back. Put away the electronics. The only electronics you should have are the lights on your Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. Turn off the TV. Turn off the radio. Just sit around and chat and tell stories. It's make stories up too. I make mean, them up. It's proven that is good for your brain. It's also just so entertaining and so exciting when you know somebody's making it up on the spot. It's just fun. It's just fun. Sharing the imagination. Yeah, that's what that's what it's all about. That's what's fun about reading out loud. Yep. Well, y'all, I wish that um, we could all cozy up around a fireplace tonight and have some eggnog. And share yes. some ghost stories. But soon. We have we have that to look forward to in 2021. 